The year 2020 has been a catalyst for massive change across industries. With a push to move from traditional systems to more nimble, accessible systems, the healthcare industry has adapted to meet unforeseen challenges and evolved its business to create new opportunities to positively impact patient care. Today on the Workday podcast, we're talking about how healthcare IT leaders are driving innovation efforts. We'll discuss how the healthcare industry is moving from the static idea of digital transformation, a one-time transformation effort, to digital acceleration, a continuous practice of maturing innovation efforts now and into the future. I'm your host, Joe Wilson, and I'm joined by Sarah Richardson. Sarah is Vice President of IT Change Leadership at Optum. Thanks for joining me today, Sarah. Thanks for having me, Joe. Absolutely. So to start, can you share a little bit about yourself, your background in healthcare and your work in healthcare IT at Optum? Sure. You know, the reason I stayed in healthcare all these years is because that ability to constantly accelerate a way to connect with patients that makes healthcare something that's accessible and really available to all people. The work that we do, especially at Optum, when you see how many verticals we have and how many people that we serve across the country, and we're constantly either acquiring medical groups or acquiring technologies and innovations that allow us to connect on fronts like insights and data and analytics and how we serve our patients. We're always seeking ways to create opportunities to be a partner with our business to accelerate the ability to deliver the best patient care really in the world. And in my role, I get to create frameworks and work with teams to develop the strategies that allow them to do that from a perspective of we have these enterprise solutions. How do you make them work within a local care delivery organization? You do that by understanding how healthcare happens in each environment, which is really a big driver of what makes a patient sticky to an organization. So that's a bit about what I do in the back end and front end for Optum and with our providers to truly create an experience that allows the consumer slash patient to want to be a part of Optum as well. That's great, Sarah. You know, you have a pretty distinct, or I would say even unique advantage in your space, given the tenure that you've had, not only across technology, but specifically within healthcare. And that might afford some pretty unique perspective as well. So building on that, from your view, how is the Office of Technology shifting? Here's what I love about it, Joe. It's twofold. It hasn't shifted at all, and yet it's gone light years ahead of where it was 20 years ago. And the reason I say it like that is I think about when I first joined healthcare, what was I doing? What was I working on? When I first joined healthcare, there were two major initiatives that we had on our belts. We had to put in a gigabit infrastructure for the network to run our systems more efficiently because we kept adding technology to the hospital but we didn't have the pipes to truly run these technologies. And anybody knows, even today, how much of a window of opportunity do you have to get a product right before the person who's receiving it will or won't use it? And that tolerance for your customer or your patient, whomever it is, your target audience, if it doesn't work the first time you give it to them, you're going to spend more time making up for that lost opportunity of the first deployment and success than you will the whole time of making sure you got it right in the first place. That hasn't changed. You get one shot to get it right in order for adoption to really happen at a pace that makes sense. Otherwise, you just spend hours and days and sometimes years getting people to want to use something that truly is supposed to be creative to the environment, but 
if it doesn't make it better for them from the onset, they're not going to use it. People aren't going to go towards a collaborative tool meant to improve workplace productivity, which is a huge component now than ever before. So that's where I say the more things change, the more they stay the same. You have to get it right out of the gate. Completely agree with you. You know, there's so much at stake here, especially when you're talking about efficiencies across the workforce. But when we think about that too, specifically from the IT lens, sometimes we rely a little bit too much on the bits and the bytes. We get a little binary in terms of what we expect or the outcomes that we hope to receive. And so maybe that's an interesting segue for you. And the question that I might have then is, what are CIOs and healthcare IT leaders missing today? The miss in some cases is that as the technology executive or the technology leader, yes, you have to understand that you need an adaptable and mature tech stack. Yes, you need to understand the ability to have really clean data to deliver the analytics on the front end. And yes, you need to be able to have a sense for what it means for the risk that you're bearing from either a cyber perspective or what the next M&A is going to bring. You have to know what that experience is like for your teams that are delivering those capabilities to your organization. But it's not yours to get in there and clean the data and design the network and do all of these pieces. You did that. We got here somehow. Like None of us started out being the person who figured it all out. I started out programming phone switches. So you appreciate that experience, but that's not your job anymore. And you have to be comfortable and fluid in the business conversation and truly appreciate that simpler is the right option. And that when you partner with the business, you have to teach them technology and they have to teach you the business in a way that comes together that makes sense for everybody to have a really productive, collaborative conversation. Because too often the business says, well, here's our strategy, now go make it happen digitally. And IT may or may not have all of the pieces that they understand from the business model to make that happen. So there has to be the time that you take to understand each other's worlds. And then the honesty that we may want to do these things and we're not capable or mature enough from an infrastructure perspective. So it's not sexy to replace technical debt sometimes, but part of that ongoing conversation is that if we want to do this, we have to spend the money here too. So the miss comes in order to be a high-performing athlete, you have to really do these small, minute things every day to make that happen. That's sometimes where I think the disconnect really comes, Joe, is that the significant investment it takes to get you foundationally where you want to be, once you're there, you can do amazing things on top of that stack. But until you get there and take the time to continually invest, not going to happen. That's where you show we are capable of doing this if we do this over here. There's really an and or conversation that goes into a lot of these decisions that are getting made today. That's really interesting. The outcomes that we always seek, though, are kind of based on the things that we knew growing up. So to your point, you started out doing something radically different from what you're doing today, and probably the same for most healthcare leaders when it comes to the information technology space. But I wonder if everybody is also kept up along with the soft skills that are required as part of that maturation into the executive rank. So for example, the humanized approach to management, doing proverbial check-ins or maybe mental health checks, or maybe even understanding the diversity requirements of our workforce or building resiliency into those who have been displaced based on causal factors. Where do you think some of those areas might be for us to be focusing on in terms of larger domain awareness or maybe larger domain efforts to look at the human side of leadership? I love that you said truly human side of leadership and the resilience factor and things that are happening. 
And the fact that we call them soft skills, I haven't come up with a better term other than they're actually hard skills. The ability to have true communications and connect with people, it's hard. It's hard to do it well. And I spend an inordinate amount of my time in the change leadership space, truly doing executive coaching for several of our team members in terms of how do you have executive presence? How do you overcome the psychology of isolation for your teams? How do you truly build in some of that neuro-linguistic programming in terms of how you listen and how you learn so that you can meet people where they are on their current journey? And that means some of your check-ins are, how are you today? Is anybody in your family sick or ill or have any kind of effect or outcomes from COVID? What else is happening? And we teach a ton of leadership classes today and we do them in smaller focus groups in some cases because that creates an opportunity for true dialogue. The camera's on, you're talking about real problems. You walk away from the presentation skills class with something you can put into place immediately because we all know that you really learn on the job. So how do you take an hour, an hour and a half spent with somebody and then that second hour after they're out of that experience, apply it in real time. So we don't get to do in-person strategic sessions or in-person learnings anymore. So you create bite-sized opportunities that let people go and do those in real time. And that reason that's so important is think about the junior executive. Think of how many times in your career your boss brought you to a meeting or your boss had you sit in in a conversation or be a part of something that would only have happened if they were advocating for you or having you there in real time. And I worry about that next generation that we're bringing up through the ranks. They're not getting those experiences and that exposure right now. So you as the leader have to really thoughtfully create those experiences right now and think about how do you very thoughtfully craft the development of your teams when they don't get the face-to-face exposure that allowed us to become successful in our careers. That's great. You know, we think about the shift that's happening across lines of business worldwide right now. And we know it's applied even more discreetly within healthcare, but it's also being applied within how we function organizationally. And you surfaced up some great points on that. I wonder though, how we can be prepared as healthcare IT leaders in terms of how to look for and navigate that constant change that's really being put upon us. And some of those things, for example, might have been the shift to maybe telehealth or other enhancements that we've seen. But what specifically do you think the leaders of today should be preparing for in terms of continuous change and how to meet that into the future? There's three or four things that are really consistently coming up in every conversation I have with my peers. Because like you, I'd love to ask the question, what are you thinking about next year? What's going to be hard for your team? What's hard for the industry? And I love having the conversations with my peers, mostly one-on-one, because in those dialogues, you're not looking to be fancy and impress each other with your strategy. And one of the key themes that's come up is what we call true consumerism. So as we solve for all of these abilities for our customers to have hybrid experiences, I can either do it in person or I can do it online or in a virtual environment. How many of us are consumers of our own products? And I ask that question a lot because in healthcare, you have several options for your insurance. Your spouse may have insurance from somewhere else. You may have government insurance. There's different components. But I'm like, are you a customer of your own product? And that gives you tremendous insight to experience it the way that it gets delivered. So I bug my husband almost daily about questions about how was your experience here? What about this? How about this? How about over here? 
And if it's hard to get an appointment, we could call the practice manager, but we're not going to. We're going to let them call the call center and see how long it takes to get in. Or what was your experience like sending it for benefits? So regardless of your industry, but obviously healthcare is a big piece of that, saying, what is your experience as a consumer of your own product? And if you aren't, then how do you create that dialogue or that way to get the feedback? Another big one is that work from home enabler. So is everybody going to go back to the office as soon as they're vaccinated and capable of doing so? Well, yes, and over 20% of our workforce is remote anyway, because we hire talent and we don't require them to now move to a hub. We have people all over the country, in some cases, the world. So they're never going to come into the office in theory. So how do you really create that work from home ecosystem that is not just like, oh, so-and-so is remote and -and so-and-so is over here for a couple of days. How do you really create something that allows people to be a part of something bigger than they are? But if they do come together, we still have to create a sense of safety for people. How do you screen people before they come in? How do you do contract chasing? How do you do AI in conference rooms so that people feel safe to do their job? And the last big piece that I'll talk about is being a true change agent, like you mentioned. The acceleration of change has happened so fast. One of the reasons I created the role the way I did in our company for change leadership is that we often forget about the human side of change. We have Lean Six Sigma for process improvement. We have ITIL for all of our services and products that we deliver. When you really get into the human side of change, it's really about how humans respond to things that are happening, that they have an awareness and a desire and an understanding of the things that are going to happen, that they have the ability to do it in a way that they hadn't done it before and that they want to continue to do something better and different. So when you really take the human side of change, along with everything else happening around them today, that's where we need to double down and continue to focus our efforts in 21. Oh, it's so awesome. Let's think for a second about this introduction of the human side that you just made. And let's maybe build on that in terms of empowerment, which is a very humanistic trait, if you will. So what specifically can the IT function do, especially in this human element of empowerment for the organizations to help them become more nimble and agile as this acceleration of change continues? I would say what's key is going to be being an ambassador for collaboration that goes back to the ability to say, what is our business plan? What are the components that we need to be really good at delivering? And what can we enable digitally, whether we accelerate it, whether we keep it going, whether we think about it. And I'm going to use something as simple as what we say is telemedicine, because it was out there for years. And through bureaucracy and reimbursement, we were like, isn't going to work. This use case doesn't work. We got so far as in some cases to be doing telepsych. And that was driven by the lack of ability to have psych providers than it was from the desire of patients wanting to use it. It's hard to find psychologists or people that have the ability to really serve, in this case, the SoCal population. So we're doing telemedicine because then you have greater outreach. The patient can come into an office at that point and see a psychiatrist or psychologist remotely but they still have to come to the office for this kind of a chat. Now you think about the ability of the hybrid approach to, I want to see my doctor, but I want to have a choice if I see them in person or virtually, depending on how acute my needs are. So how easy is it to connect? How easy is it to get your vitals loaded into your chart? How easy is it to share that with your other specialists? And that specialist may or may not be employed by your medical group. It may be 
a contracted relationship with an IPA or another center? How do you make that data so it's flowing in a way that's easy for people to use, both the patient and the providers that are going to be seeing that? And that can be hard to do sometimes. Do your data sources have the APIs connected to them and all the HL7 interfaces to be able to create those applications or those experiences that allow everything to be something that can be reviewed and used in real time? And that's where I go back to, are you a patient? Do you know what that actually feels like and looks like? And when we think about telemedicine, there's two other key components. Number one, we say that it's virtual care, but this is not just virtual. Virtual is the ability to put those predictors out there ahead of time and say, wow, before Joe comes into his appointment, we see that he's had an elevated heart rate or he's had these things contributing to his condition recently. Let's really get some information from him ahead of time, whether it's medical assistant, RN, whomever, feeding that conversation to the physician. So that virtual loop is about really taking care of the issue that's already been established at the time of the visit versus us having to go back and forth. Well, how have you been feeling for the last three months, Joe? You want your physician to care about that. You want your physician to already know. So we start off the conversation by saying, wow, you've been exercising and doing all of these things, but it looks like there's a couple of anomalies here we need to address right away. And let's talk about that. And then you think about a patient who had never used telemedicine before, and there maybe have been a barrier to that. And now they can get feedback from their cardiologist and from their PCP and even from their pharmacist, all in a way that is continuously occurring either through a telemedicine visit or perhaps though that one intervention requires he or she to go into the office, but all the information's there. So again, as we think about where do we need to head and how do we continue to transform this industry, it's unique experiences in a non-unique setting that also give you access to information that you need to have in a way that you can use it most meaningfully. And I don't know that we've ever been very good at that but that's huge opportunity for us. Take telemedicine to the next step because all the components are already there. You know, 2020 has been ripe with surprises, right? It's the year where you could actually DoorDash a margarita. And it's also the same year where you can actually have meaningful engagement with your primary care providers without actually having to be in the office. Earlier on though, you talked about organizational tools, specifically around accessibility that help the organization move forward. And I wanted to maybe build on that a little bit because what's the real importance of having all these accessible tools and what can they actually do to help either meet the unknowns of the future or better prepare employees and the organization for engagement that's meaningful? That's a tough one because how many times have you gone out there to look for a solution for something that you needed? And there's like 20 options. What I love about 2020 is how much innovation and creativity has happened on the startup space. There is no shortage of companies looking to solve your problems right now or or create opportunities to engage with you and your patients. And I especially think about the cyberspace because I have the opportunity to sit on a couple of boards or groups that bring all these new innovations forward and you get to see what's coming. I've never felt more terrified about cybersecurity than I have this year, not because my company doesn't do an amazing job. I'm fortunate to work for an organization that can handle cybersecurity. And yet, what happens if you're a 200-bed hospital in a normal-sized community? There are hundreds of cyber companies looking to fix all these many components of your cyber risk threat, which is a real thing. And so you could get paralyzed by how many choices are out there. 
this goes back to what's your business plan? What's a great solution? And then pick one. And whether you're using a partner for kind of research firms to figure out which one you should be using, if you do your due diligence on the front end and say, okay, I've looked at these three companies. We believe this one's going to be the best. You have opportunities to negotiate a way to get them in the door because a lot of places can't afford it. And when you literally say, here's our proposition, but here's all we can afford, a startup looking to get in and make a difference quite likely isn't going to turn down a hospital of some breadth and depth that wants to use their services or products. And so pick one and make sure it passes your risk and your profile and all these different pieces, but let these companies help you and then figure out how to take a chance with a couple of them because you really can make a huge difference in different tool sets that are available. You just got to find people that want to use them, a company that can enter your environment, not create chaos, and then you match it with the business plan and have a partner on the business side. So I always say IT should be the enabler. IT is not always the solution. It's an enabler to the partnership with your stakeholders. And you can put some really amazing solutions in place today, still allow your team to feel like they're being innovative. You don't have to invent it to still be innovative in deploying it in your own organization. So I say take a chance on small startups or smaller groups that really are looking for a partner because that may be the way that you put tools in the hands of people that are necessary to make a difference. And we all know there's going to be a contracted spend over IT. There was reduction in spend this year, there'll be a reduction in spend next year. So we're reducing the spend while we're expecting to increase the utilization of technology. There are people out there who will truly partner with you to do that. Oh, that's, that's so perfect. I couldn't agree more. I, I feel like this year has been the year of compression that finally got us to the point of getting smarter with how we actually allocate capital against projects that can help the organization, specifically around building towards this model of buy where you can and build when you must. The era of building is kind of that ship has sailed. But this brings us to my favorite part where I get to ask you to be a futurist. So as we look into the future, Sarah, how do you see the industry of healthcare evolving and what further changes do you anticipate coming to bear? This answer could have so many possibilities. It's one of those places where you like diagram it out as you're thinking about what's it actually going to look like at some point as we move forward. And it truly goes back to the hybrid environment. Consumers choose how they want to receive anything. Well, we've had to take control of our health this year. We've always said that it's necessary to be able to do that, but you have to take control of your own environment. You have to have a way to monitor your wellness. You have to have a way to stay engaged when you need healthcare, whether you need a flu shot or a vaccination or medication. It has to be something where you're like, I can either go and literally click the app and get it done, or I'm choosing to go and engage in one form or another. That's exercise. That's my physician. That's whatever I'm trying to take care of. Have an environment that can flex to whichever choice your consumer is going to want. So in the case of healthcare, do I get it virtually? And is it more than just a video visit? And if I need to go in, where can I go and get those services that I need? I was in a panel a couple of weeks ago and they're like, well, how do you create stickiness to your organization? And you'll find that both products and hospital systems or healthcare systems that are doing really, really well are known for the quality of the brand they deliver. And I say that because we have an aging population in our country. And a lot of seniors like their doctor. I like Dr. Wilson because he knows me and he knows my family. And I've been with him for 25 years. Well, guess what? Dr. Wilson's going to retire this year. So 
do you want to stay with us because of the quality we provide? Or are you going to go somewhere else because you want that same level of personalization? Healthcare is local. Healthcare is personal. It also has to be convenient. Create the brand that people can rely on. So it's as functional as CVS and Amazon because why do you go there? Because it's easy, you know, to expect and you get good quality. Same thing with your healthcare provider. You start to brand your system and your overall capabilities, not just the physician that's providing those independent services. Well, you heard it here. Healthcare is local. It's convenient. I love that. Thanks so much, Sarah. I always enjoy spending time with you. And I really appreciate the fact that you joined me on today's podcast. Likewise. Thank you, Joe.